today, and uh, I'll get to this girl in a second. Uh, we are in the third week of our series entitled The Jesus Way, Conversations on the Way that Jesus is the Way. And um, what we started last week, and we will be continuing um, throughout the, the rest of this series, is bringing up someone on stage who is a volunteer here at the church, um, specifically in um, New Heights Ministries, kind of, some of them are, are broader reaching, but um, and because there are people who get it, who get that living your life like Christ means different things, and one of them is giving up of your time. And last week we had Tom Harmon from the chair team, and if you weren't here, you missed uh, Tom telling you about what they do, setting up chairs, and, and we just wanted to say that, you know, from time to time we talk about spiritual gifts. We do a series on spiritual gifts, we talk about spiritual gifts, and, and we don't always couch it in those terms, spiritual gifts, but there are such things, and and God created each and every one of us for a different purpose in the body of Christ. And Ray Vanderland talks about when they were unearthing the, uh, the temple wall. And he said way beneath the surface of the ground, they found these just tremendously large stones that were there to support the rest of the building. They would never be seen, but they were integral to what went on in the worship of God. And then they found these highly polished, beautiful stones. That are always they're always in the front of people's mind and, and, and seen. And, and what he says is we are the temple of God now. We are the body of Christ. And it takes all of us together to form that body. And, and some of us are seen and heard and some of us are behind the scenes. Some of us have gifts of public speaking. Some of us have gifts of administration and use those gifts in different ways. So everyone that comes up here has a spiritual gift in one area. And, and they've chosen to use that gift in different places. Now, this ministry that Amy Sakopoulos, uh, which is her name, anybody want to take a shot at spelling? Not Amy, but Sakopoulos. T-S-A-K-O-P-O-L-O-U. Dang it. I know it's T-S. T-S-A-K. T-S-A-K. Okay, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, they have a little girl. That little girl is going to be just in kindergarten. She's three and a half and can spell her last name. <laughs> Show off. <laughs> I can spell Crocker. Um, and, and, and so we'll be bringing people up from time to time. And, and, uh, and this is Amy Sakopoulos, and she is a member of our programming team. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask you, programming team, what ministry are you involved in, and what exactly do you do? Um, I'm involved with the programming team here for New Heights. And basically what the programming team does is we're responsible for creating and organizing and planning all of the Sunday morning services here at New Heights. And that ranges from everything from just the planning the order of the service and what takes place in each service to actually trying to come up with different topics for sermon series that are presented. And then on top of that, we try to find new and exciting ways to come up to, with enhancing those sermon series, whether it's through graphics that are shown or videos that we play up here or any other ideas that we can come up with to really make it more meaningful and impactful every Sunday morning. And as I said, you, you're not the most creative of our group, um, although she had this one brilliant idea when she first joined us Easter, and we were all so excited about her creativity, and that was it. Um, but she uh, started strong. Started strong. <laughs> but you bring another gift to this group, and, and what exactly is your kind of role as you are in the programming ministry? Well, for me, you know, when I first was going to start with programming, I kind of knew, I was like, oh, I'm not the most creative person in the world. I'm not the, you know, go-to person for the big ideas, but really my role is more of an administrative role. And I feel like, you know, I bring that to the table of being able to be that person that can, con- you know, contact people that we need to contact to help kind of with the organizational aspect and send an email if an email needs to be sent or any of those other little tasks that may be kind of mundane but can be really helpful 
especially to the staff that may be too busy to be able to do those things. Daryl and I have lots of ideas but never do anything. Um, <laughs> how did you get involved in this ministry? Well, my husband, Chris, and I, we've been members here, I guess, at New Heights for about six years now. And I had always wanted to get more involved in a ministry in the church, but just wasn't exactly sure where and never did really step up and, and do it and take the initiative. And one day, Stacy Smith happened to mention to me that the programming team was looking for new people to join and help them. And my husband was right there when she was saying this, and of course he just said, well, Amy will do it, she'll come. And so I was a little taken aback that my husband just volunteered me right on the spot, um, which I don't think was out of the kindness of his heart, more little selfish motivation that he would get an hour a week with me out of his hair to play video games. But anyway, um, but I thought about it and, you know, thought, hey, why not, you know, give it a try and see what it's all about. And so I started attending the meetings um, about a year ago and have been doing it ever since. So the moral of the story is if you want your spouse out of the house, volunteer them to do something. Um, what other ministries are you involved in? My husband, Chris, and I, we also help serve communion on the communion team, which we do that once a month in Sunday morning services. Why do you do this? Why do you serve? Why do you keep coming back? Well, I think for me it's been a really neat opportunity to just really feel more connected to New Heights and especially getting to work so closely with our pastor here, Michael Crocker, and Daryl Smith, the worship leader, and his wife, Stacy, who leads programming, and just really seeing what their vision is and, and being a part of that and helping to create something that's so um, worthy and meaningful every Sunday morning. You know, it's easy to come here and feel like this just all magically appears and happens, but, you know, a lot of prayer and time and work goes into planning each and every Sunday, and so it's just been um, really neat to get to be a part of all that and, and be here each Sunday morning and really see the fruits of our labor come, you know, come to fruition every single Sunday morning. You say working with me like it's <laughs> this big deal, like you're part of my entourage. I feel so I like great to now. Think so. Um, anything you would tell people, give advice about, um, you know, if they're considering this ministry, something they should know. Um, well, I laughed with I knew I was going to have to give some advice or tips because I was a little taken aback the very first meeting I attended because apparently with the staff at New Heights, technology is very important. I walked into the meeting. They all have their Apple laptops open, their iPhones, and I just had my sad little Sprint 1997 cell phone. So I felt a little out of place at first. Um, but, no, you really, you know, if you want to bring technology, that's great, but you don't have to have it. Um, but I would just say, you know, if you have any interest at all in helping to create the services on Sundays, I would just encourage you to, to come see what a meeting's about. We'd love to have you. We meet once a week for an hour, and um, it's a fun, laid-back meeting. We have a good time. We laugh a lot. And I would encourage you to, you know, if you're there, to speak up, share any ideas that you may have. If you have ideas or suggestions for things that we could do in the services, we'd love to hear them. And, you know, we always say it's a safe place to share your ideas when before one of us is going to share an idea, especially me, um, if I have one. We, uh, we always say we do this, and we say, okay, umbrellas over my head. I'm protected from ridic ridicule. Don't rain on my, you know, idea here. So, um, and that seems to work pretty well. So I'd say, you know, definitely come and be ready to share or speak up if you want to. Windows Vista will someday work. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Before you leave, I want to pray for you and for the ministry. If y'all would bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for Amy, for this servant of yours who has chosen to give of her gifts administratively and creatively as well, Lord, uh, to this programming team. We thank you for that. And we ask that your blessing would be upon her 
for the time that she spends away from her family, from her husband and her daughter, and uh, from her other responsibilities to come and to serve you. And God, we pray for the programming team that as they uh, move forward trying to figure out how to present your gospel message, your message, that it is always remembered, that it is your message and your story, and that they bring wisdom to that table, your wisdom to that table, Lord, of when to move forward with an idea and when to walk away. God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Amy. We are, um, as I said earlier, uh, in the third week of a series entitled The Jesus Way, and and we're following along this book um, by Eugene Peterson entitled, strangely enough, The Jesus Way, uh, a conversation on the way that Jesus is the way. And how many of you are reading through this book in a Sunday school somewhere throughout the church? How many of you are working through this book? Um, Okay, one of you. One person. Great. Well, this is only going to hit one person. I'm leading a Wednesday uh, group, a Wednesday men's group, and we're going through this book as well. And with the exception of maybe two people in this group of about 11 guys, they're all complaining about how hard the book is to read. Um, it's like this guy uses every big word he knows and puts them all in one sentence. And, you know, it just takes me. I have to, in fact, one guy read a, a paragraph to his wife while they were laying in bed. And she goes, you're joking, right? Um, and he was the same guy who called me and goes, this can't be serious. And I said, hey, man, that's seminary. That was my life in seminary was guys who want to show you how smart they are by the big words that they can use. The more syllables you can get into a word, the better, you know, basically. Um, and. It is it is a hard book to read if you take it at that level. But you know what? So is this. And I think what what Peterson is trying to get at is is that we've allowed ourselves to fall into a lifestyle where we see those things and we're like, well, I'm just going to have nothing to do with it. We see those things that are intellectually intimidating, and we're like, well, I would rather maybe watch TV instead. Is this out in a movie yet? Um, I don't know how many times I've been asked for the cliff notes of this book. And I'm like, seriously, you all have college degrees. It's not that hard. But really, we've kind of surrounded ourselves in this lifestyle, so it should come as no shock or surprise to me. What we've been talking about is Peterson suggests throughout this book that, that when Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life, that we have honed in on this truth section We have zeroed in, the church as a whole has zeroed in on this truth section to the detriment of the way. In other words, we'd focus so much time and energy and effort on getting things up here that we forgot that what's up here should come out. That that being a follower of Jesus Christ isn't just about knowing something. It's about being someone. It's about being like Jesus Christ. Being a follower of Jesus Christ implies that you're following Jesus. Jesus Christ, it implies that you're living a life in a certain way. And Jesus clearly says, I am the way. I am the way. Live your life like me. If you want to be a follower of me, if you believe in me, if you accept the gift of salvation, then be like me. And Peterson looks at various people throughout the text and says, okay, what can we take from this guy? What did Abraham have to teach us about the way, because Abraham didn't know Jesus, lived way before him, but he lived his life in such a way that we can look to him as an example. And this week, in this chapter, chapter 4, he talks about Moses. 
Moses, one of the great leaders of the text, one of the great leaders of the Israel community. And if you look, do you remember how Moses was called into service? Burning bush, right? There's this burning bush and it's, it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And, you know, like any of us, yeah, right. I wouldn't have gone over there, but he walks off the path and he goes over to this bush. He's like, Ooh, this looks pretty cool. And he hears the words of God, the voice of God speaking to him and calling him to serve. And what does Moses say? I don't have the words. I'm slow of tongue. I can't do this because I don't speak well. Many historians or theologians think that he probably had a bad stutter. Whatever it was, he wasn't the voice for God that God was wanting, according to him. Then fast forward to the end of his ministry, and Moses gives one of the longest, if not the longest, sermon recorded in the history of sermons. By the English translation, it's like 31, 32 pages. Could y'all imagine if I preached that long? The Hebrew translation is like 77 pages long. The guy who had no words couldn't stop talking. He had words just coming out. Words are important. Words are so important. When the Gospel of John introduces Jesus, what does he call him? The Word. Logos. The Word is God. The Word is important. You know, these people that, that wrote this text, that grew up reading this, didn't read it. They heard it. It was an oral society because, you know, a lot of people couldn't read. And when Paul writes a letter to Colossa, he sends this letter off to, you know, the city of Colossa. Not everybody in that community of believers can read. So what would happen is they would gather around and somebody would read it to them. More likely, somebody would have memorized it because there was one letter and it had to go around. And that person then gave the recitation of that. And the people listened because words were important. And the way that Paul crafted that, the way that Moses crafted it, the way that things are crafted in the Bible means something. But we live in a society where we've lost that. And big words make us scared. We live in a society in the world where if we see something that we don't understand, we, we flip through the begat section because we don't want to get caught on any of the, any of the names. And, and quite honestly, why, does the, why do those people matter? Because they're a part of God. Words matter. Words matter. We live in a society of television and movies and magazines. I wonder if we took a poll and asked how many of you read a book recently all the way through, how many hands would go up? We've lost something. And really what I think it is, I think it, I think it gets a little deeper into another issue. I think it has an issue to deal with authority. I think that there's an authoritative misconnect going on here. You see, when people attribute the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, they say Moses wrote it. Well, not so fast, my friends. If you look at these historical critics and they break it down, they say, no, Moses didn't write this. There are four sources that these things came from, J, E, D, and P. I can look out here and I can see one person in this room who I know knows about J, E, D, and P, and that's because he's been to seminary. J, E, D, and P. 
Those are the sources that the five books of Torah have come from, not Moses. And they've picked things apart to the to the detriment of what it really is. They, they've taken things apart so much so that they've forgotten the driving force behind them. Now, did Moses actually sit down and write the first five books of the Bible? Probably not. But was he the spiritual authority behind them? Probably so. Was he the driving mechanism behind them? Peterson tells a story in the book about uh, this 36 Plymouth that his father bought. He goes out and he buys this 1936 Plymouth, and this was in 1944. And he drives it to the back of their house in the alleyway, and he parks it. Never moves from that spot again. It just something went wrong, and, and it couldn't start. And Peterson was 12 at the time, and he goes, well, you know, my, my license is coming up in a couple of years. I need to learn how to drive, so I'm going to use that Plymouth as my, as my car. And so he would go out there after school, he said, and spend hours in the car, you know, practicing the clutch pedal and the brake pedal and shifting from first to second to third and back. And, and he'd, you know, figure out how to back up and all these different things. And he felt like he had a pretty good grasp of it. And then he thought to himself, you know, I really don't know how this works. I don't know anything about the insides of it, what makes it go. And so he began to take the engine apart. And piece by piece, he would take out of the engine and lay it down in the grass beside the car and piece by piece. And after a while, he said, I had all of these pieces out there and I knew the names of each one of the pieces. And yet I still didn't know what made it go. He took these things apart and he dissected it to such a degree that he missed the point that it was together and that the driving force behind it, he missed the driving force. When we look too intellectually and historically at the text, we miss a lot. When we lose the authoritative structure of the text, we miss the point of it. Did Paul write all of the letters that are attributed to Paul? Was John of the Gospel of John the same guy that wrote the book of Revelation in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John? You go to seminary, they say no. You go to different historians, they'll say, no, it couldn't have been. And they go on to all this stuff. And I'm like, who cares? I'm not saying that the historical stuff and the intellectual stuff is not important. My point is that it is. But if you miss the driving force behind it, if you miss the fact that God brought it all together, all of that knowledge means nothing. All of that knowledge is nothing if you don't have the way to bring it together. I think it's authority. I think it's an authoritative sense that we've lost. We've lost this reverence for the scripture, for the word. We've lost the importance of words themselves. I mean, look at the way we speak with one another. Look at the way our language has devolved into text language. Look at the way that we have cut off communication with one another, except through the means of texting. Older generations look to somebody around you younger and you'll tell you. Look at the fact that we, instead of meeting together with one another, we get on Facebook and we update our status. And right now I'm looking at a beautiful sunset. I don't care unless I'm sitting there with you. We have lost the importance of community. See, people in biblical times didn't have this. So they came together as the body of Christ and were one. But we have separated ourselves so much. We have lost the reverence for authority and especially the authority of God and God's word. 
If we want to live like Jesus Christ, we need to recapture that. Recapture that reverence for the Logos. John Joffe is our sound man, and he does a wonderful job of sound man. And if you know John, (laughs) that was outstanding. If you know John very well, you know that John is a conspiracy theorist. And I love this about John because John has a way of looking at things in a different side than I ever do and bringing to it a different light. John said he went to Walmart last night and he goes, I was sick to my stomach. And I said, yeah, I don't like Walmart either. He goes, no, 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 not Walmart. He goes, the people. He said, I was, I I, I was just, I couldn't believe what America has become. What the people that walk around, I just looked at all these different people. He said he was standing in line and this woman behind him let out an audible burp. She goes, oh, I guess I shouldn't have done that. This is where you want to mute me, John. And John goes, I thought about hitting her in the face and go, oh, sorry, I guess I shouldn't have done that. (laughs) But we have allowed ourselves to fall away from this common courtesy. We have allowed ourselves to devolve into a society that says, you know what, I'm me, get over it. I'm going to me be me in front of you to the point where it just annoys you too bad because I'm me and I live in a world that tells me that I should do that. I'm on a committee at the rodeo and I've been there a few nights and I was recently driving one of the golf carts. Um, it was right after the show, after the concert had gotten out and people were, you know, mass exit and it was over by the Frontier Club. If you've been to the rodeo, know what I'm speaking of. It's that little alleyway between the Frontier Club and the, the chute to the AT&T Center. And I'm, and I'm driving on this golf cart, and it's late, and I'm tired. I've been there a long time, and I have my headlights on. It's a gas golf, golf cart, so it's loud. You hear me coming, and you see the lights coming. These three high school boys were walking in front of me, and one of them looks back over his shoulder and sees me, turns to his buddies, and says something to the effect of, There's a cart behind us. Maybe we should move. To which the other guys turn around and go, keep walking slowly. At that point, I wanted to go wham and just plow them down. I was so irritated. I was like, dude, get out of the way for just a moment and I will be gone. But no. Why? Because I'm me. Get over it. I'm the authority in my life. I don't care who you are, what you're doing. I don't care where you're going in life because I am going this way at my pace. Get over it. We've lost an authority. We've lost a reverence for authority. We've lost, not that I'm some sort of big authority out there, but we have believed ourselves to be all that matters in this world so much so that we've lost even the authority of Scripture. Moses talked about this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says this at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, H-E-A-R. Hear, listen to what I am about to say. These words are important. They are coming from God. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, 
all of your soul and all of your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are away on a journey, when you are lying down and when you are getting up again. Tie them to your hands as a reminder and wear them on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you think he has a reverence for the word of God? Hear people of God. Listen to these words. Teach them to your children. Teach them to yourself. Remind yourself of these words. Be constantly involved in these words of God. When you get up in the morning, when you go down at night, put it on your doorpost so that coming or going, you may see the word of God. Tie them to your hand. Rip them on your forehead. Get the word of God inside of you. These stories of God are important. But, but we've lost this authoritative structure. We've lost the reverence for words. We've lost the reverence for literature. We want to break it down into some intellectual science. But these are holy words. In fact, Peterson says all words are holy. It's us that bring them down. We live in a society that Last night, my, a couple of nights ago, my, my father-in-law made the comment, we need to stop watching less TV and start reading more books. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Something's on TV. Go home. You know. <laughs> Last night I went and I, we have all these antique books in, in our shelves, like some of you, because they look cool, right? <laughs> I, I went and picked one up. Um, and it's the short stories of John Steinbeck, Cannery Row of mice and men, things like that. And the young kids are like, what? What is that? Was that a movie of mice and men? That was a movie, wasn't it? And I didn't read much. I just kind of flipped through it and I started reading a little bit. We've lost the sense of wonderment that comes with reading words. You want to read a great story? There are some awesome stories in here. There are some, there's a donkey that talks. That is awesome. There's a dude that walks on water. That is cool. There is some really cool stuff in here. But it's the Bible. If we want to live our life in the way, we have got to reconnect with the Logos. We've got to reconnect with the word of God. We have got to find that authoritative reverence for the scripture. It's not about me in this life. It's about God. I am not the ultimate authority in my life. God is. Now look, I don't want to say that I'm great at this because I'm not. I don't want to say that every day I, w- I wake up and I open up the word of God. And I'm like, oh, you know, and, and do these things and have this wonderful moment of peace and, and just feel the spirit moving through me because I don't. I don't want to say that I walk every day of my life and every moment being more and more like Jesus because I don't. Friday, we went to the rodeo with the, the four of us, Jenna, myself, Gracie and Corbin, and 
We had a great time, and Corbin just had the time of his life seeing all these wonderful things and seeing, you know, cow poo on the floor for a, you know, two-year-old boy. That's, like, awesome, you know, and just all, he got on a tractor, you know, it's so cool. And then when we left, we rode a golf cart. A uh, golf cart took us all the way up the hill to our truck, and, um, and, you know, and Corbin loves golf carts. I mean, loves them. Every time we go by the Corey Golf Course over here, it's golf cart, golf cart, golf cart, golf cart, you know, there it is. And he can't wait to see it. And then we come back. He knows where we are in relation to geographical relation to the golf carts. So he's just sitting on the front seat with me and we're going and it's great. And then we get out and on the way home, this is what I hear from the back seat. Golf cart, 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 doc. Doc, golf cart, golf. Doc is uh, his grandfather, who he likes to think of as well sometimes. All this stuff. And I finally went, Corbin! And Jenna's like, calm down. <laughs> He's just thinking about a golf cart. I was like, really? <laughs> I had a moment where I lost my path and lost the way. Because quite honestly, I'm a guy. I think about that stuff all the time. I just don't verbalize it, you know? I was probably thinking golf cart, golf cart, golf cart, golf cart, golf cart, too. It just wasn't coming out. And I lost my way. And I lost the path. We do that. We have these moments where we begin to think that we're the authority. We have these moments where we begin to think that we know better than God does. And so we take our eyes off of the path that God has laid before us. And we just, even if it's just for a moment, we find another way. He is the way. Peterson has a couple of paragraphs in here about something called riding the fence. Where he grew up, they had a lot of uh, ranches and things. And one of his friends was a cattle rancher. And his job at his family's ranch was to ride the fence. And basically, for those of you city slickers in here that don't know it, riding the fence means riding along the fence of your place. You ride along the fence of your place, and if you got a huge place, you could be out for a day or two. But what you're doing is you're trying to find holes in the fence because cattle, as this guy, cattle, as this guy said, are the stupidest animals that God created. This is a cattle rancher who said this, so he, you know, he was saying this. He goes, they're just dumb. However, they are geniuses at finding a hole in a fence and taking off to somewhere they shouldn't be. And so it's a constant battle of outwitting the cows and finding the holes before they do. So they have to ride the fence. And he suggests that we need to ride the fence as well. That the world has put so many holes in our fences, that we have put so many holes in our fences that we are just waiting for that opportunity to scatter and to go into a land that we shouldn't go. We need to circle the wagons, if you will. We need to ride the fence for one another. And we need to return to the word of God. Because he is the way and the truth and the life. And if you want to know him, you got to know him. Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for being the God of authority in our lives. A gentle God, a loving God, but an authoritative God nonetheless. God, we thank you for giving us the words to live our life by. The guidance and wisdom that we need to live in this world is right here available to us. 
We thank you for that. God, help us to see that with new eyes. Help us to reinvest our lives into your words, to find that reverence for the authority of Scripture. And God, as we, as we strike out on this, on this life and, and we see things that come into our way and we lose our way from time to time, God, you know we're going to do that. Forgive us and correct us and get us back on the path to you. Use our friends and our family. Use us for someone else, Lord, to ride the fence so that we may constantly reflect your grace and your love and your glory. God, we thank you and praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.